We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Today, hello, hello, hello. For those who haven't met me yet, I'm Chris, Chris Hurst. I am the husband of Abby and the father of Elijah, and I'm part of this community of God's people here at St. Martin C3. It's an interesting expression, that one, isn't it? Part of God's community here at St. Martin C3. It's it's actually quite intentional. I'm saying this quite intentionally. Because being a community is central to who we are here. Being a community in unity is what we'd love to be. Unity. Togetherness. Working together for a common goal. Enjoying being in the company of other people to a point where you can let your guard down and actually be yourself. That's wonderful. It's a beautiful thing. It's a cry of the human heart. This is true for everyone, for people who have whatever background they have, whatever cultural background they have, whether you regularly attend church or you've just dropped in this particular Sunday. We all desire this. South Africa. 1995, a country emerging from decades of systematic apartheid, fervent hope and a desire for a unified future exist in that nation. The Rugby World Cup was held there that year, and the lyrics of the Rugby World Cup theme song seem particularly poignant. There's a dream, I feel, so rare, so real. All the world in union all the world as one. Gathering together, one mind, one heart, every creed, every color, once joined, never apart. It's the world in union, the world as one. As we climb to reach our destiny, a new age has begun. It's a beautiful hope. It is a wonderful picture. Unity recognizes being rare and yet somehow attainable. What is it that binds us together? And once bound together, what is it that will make this unity real, to last, and actually have significance? Well, the attendees and the viewers of the Rugby World Cup, well, they all love rugby. They all want different teams to win, sure, but they are united by their love for the game. Now, I have that type of unity with Warren, for instance, through our shared passion for skiing. We can talk for many hours on that, and we can do those things together. That's a unity like that. Similarly, I can talk to Daniel Langford and Ben Haynes about designing buildings. We're both structural engineers. Or mountain biking. We have these things in common. Unity through common interests is an ordinary unity. It's natural. It's to be expected. It can be beautiful, but ultimately, it's limited. What about church? Do you expect the ordinary? When you show up to church on a Sunday or to a connect group during the week, are you just hoping to see someone that's like you in the same stage of life with shared? That's ordinary. It's comfortable, sure, but really no different than a club or an interest group. 
we've been called together to be beyond ordinary. And part of us being beyond ordinary is being so filled with God's Spirit, so transformed by His love that we love others as God does. Now, living within uh, as an integral member of a self-sacrificing community can be daunting. It certainly is something that is difficult. Now, I'd go further than that. It's actually impossible, completely impossible to do in God's way if you do it under your own efforts. (sighs) That's a tough start. Today, we're going to delve into the accounts of the early church. What can we learn from the community of believers as recorded in Acts? If you have your Bibles, let's start by opening up to Acts 2. It'll also be on the screen behind me. So we start in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Talking about the community of believers here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Again, pick up in Acts 4, verses 32 through 35, another little section about the believers meeting together. Verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and in mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. There's so much goodness in these passages. I think when each of us sort of hear these things being read uh, and look at it in front of us, there's some things we just love the sound of. We go, oh, that's wonderful. I'd love that. That'd be great. But if we're honest, there's also things in those passages that we go, ooh, that's a little bit confronting. Ah, Maybe not that one. But how do we go about creating that, that beautiful environment here? Being that here. Well, before we can distill that for ourselves, we need to understand where it comes from, how it happens, and what it's all about. So three key aspects. Foundation, enabling, and purpose. To give us that, that background before we get into it. Foundation. The foundation, like anything, in any situation, provides the context for the why. Why are we doing this? Without the proper foundation, we might have some togetherness, but at best, it's temporal and ultimately empty. And at worst, it's harmful. You only need to consider the events around the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 to remind yourself that unity with a bad foundation can have significantly negative consequences. The first passage that we read in Acts 2 flows on from the events of Pentecost, and it's critical to see it in its its proper context. So let's read it again, but actually go back a little bit before verse 42 
and see what's going on. We st- we'll read again at the tail end of Peter's message. It's the message to the gathered crowd, the, ga- the crowd that's seen the apostles uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in many tongues, and then this message that goes out from it. They've witnessed the Holy Spirit and the apostles. They've heard the gospel, and they've asked Peter what they should then do. So in verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And then verse 41, just before the the verse that we read last time. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. And they, they are the ones who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So you see, the foundation is Christ. He is the chief cornerstone a wholehearted trust and acceptance of Jesus' death and resurrection on your behalf to save us from our sins is the foundation. It was those who accepted that message that devoted themselves. It is the person and message of Jesus that we are united for. That's the reason they were gathered. That's the reason we're gathered. And the foundation is inextricably linked to the enabling. You can't have the enabling without the foundation, and without the foundation, you won't be enabled. You can't have one without the other. Paul says it simply in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. When you believed, you were marked in him, in Jesus, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. In Acts 1.8, Jesus promises that when his Holy Spirit comes to his followers, it will impart power. God's power. We see that clearly in Acts 2. We see it clearly in the rest of Acts as people come to put their faith in Jesus. And we know it's truth in our own lives as well. So the Holy Spirit's power within us as an enabling force, unto what end? What's the purpose of it? Is it just cool? It is cool, but... What's the point of it? This doesn't leave us hanging. He doesn't require us to do some sleuthing and really nut it out. Right in Acts 1, verse 8, he says it. To be witnesses. Of whom? Of Jesus. Where? Everywhere. So, our foundation is Christ. The enabling is by his Holy Spirit. And the purpose is to be his witnesses. Oh, that's nice, Chris. But what has this to do with community? With having a unified connection together? Well, that is because that is our purpose. As a community. That's our purpose as a community. That's why we're here. All things that we do on a Sunday are with the intent of expressing what God has and is achieving in us. Our first fruits of a return to Eden deep, intimate fellowship, proclamation and advancement of God's kingdom, a witness to the faithfulness of God, encouraging, exhorting one another, holding each other to account to live that life of holiness that he's prepared for us to walk in. But I'm getting ahead of myself. 
There are three passages in Acts where we see the early church meeting and interacting together. We've touched on the first two already in the end of Acts 2 and in Acts 4. The third is in Acts 6. Now, similar to Jonty's approach a couple of weeks ago, when we looked at the 18 examples of speaking the great good news in Acts, I wanted to see if there's any common threads present that we could learn from. And I think there are four, there's definitely going to be more, but there's four key characteristics that were central to the early church community. They are intimacy, growth, willingness, and praise. Intimacy, connection with God through prayer, through placing yourself under him. Intimacy with each other through food, fellowship, meeting together, a real, real practical care for each other. Growth, growth in knowledge and in wisdom, learning, becoming more Christ-like, practical growth, learning to do things differently in response to changing circumstances and the opportunities that were in front of them. We saw this last week, when, as Warren was telling us about how people would see something in front of them. They weren't going out to heal this particular guy, but they saw him in front of them and they responded as God led them. That's a beautiful thing. But part of growth is also stepping into the things that God has prepared for us to do. And that ties in with willingness. Willing to be self-sacrificial for the greater aim of kingdom expansion. And then seeing God's kingdom actually expand. Willing to be generous with your time and your possessions for others that are in need. And praise. Spirit of thankfulness and thanksgiving seems to saturate the culture of the early church. Wouldn't it be awesome if it saturates our culture as well? But don't just take my word for it. We're going to work through these passages and see how these things draw out. So let's start in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Again, if you've got your Bibles, fantastic to keep it open. Um, as you'll see, what we've done is that we've um, got the entire passage on the screen, and then I've highlighted, um, or Jaunty, thankfully, has highlighted, um, techno Jaunty, has highlighted uh, these things for us. So we're going to work through each of the passages for intimacy, growth, willingness, and praise. Um, why am I laboring this point? Because I want you to see it for yourself. I want you to, to understand that this isn't just me sitting on a, in a weekday and going, oh, these are fantastic little trinket items I can bring out. No, no, this, this comes from the scripture. So uh, from Acts 2, 42 through 47, intimacy. Um, so, you can see right in the first verse there, 42, um, they, I can't read the back, I gotta go here, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and par- prayers. They are meeting together. They are spending their time together, spending their energies together. They're choosing to spend their time together. Um, and I love how it picks up in verses 44, 45, and 46. It's, um, we can so easily get into a mentality of it being like, okay, so I've sectioned off maybe a couple hours on Sunday morning. Maybe I've given myself an hour during the week to catch up with people. But these guys were like all out. <laughs> they say they were, here we go, uh, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. This is part of their lives. This is the full aspect of their lives. They really are caring about being with each other and are wanting to share all of their lives, people into their homes, uh, food shared together, something so profound about sharing meals together with people, isn't it? Like you actually get to know people uh, for who they are in that unguarded moment. It's a beautiful thing. So that's what they're doing. Uh, secondly, growth. 
growth you see in verse 42, that they're actually placing themselves under the apostles' teaching. Um, synthesized down, this is essentially placing themselves under good doctrine. They're learning, they're studying, they're wanting to understand more. Um, this is actually critical about community. We come together uh, to spur each other on to learn more about God. And I love how this is a, does it in Ephesians. Ephesians presents this beautifully about actually the more that you grow in knowledge actually affects your act, and then you keeps going on back. We tend to think sometimes that growth in knowledge is like separate from practicality, that if you were like really growing in a good understanding of God, that you wouldn't necessarily act. God says that doesn't happen. Like if you're actually truly growing in him, it's going to come out in action. And that's what these guys are doing. Uh, willingness. They are willing uh, to come together. They're willing to uh, meet together. Verse 43 and 47, you're seeing um, they are they're willing to see kingdom expansion. And people are coming to faith, which is a beautiful thing. And praise. It's, it's biggest there in verse 47. Um, people are praising God because of the community. And the community is praising God. It's a lovely thing. Uh, Acts 4, verses 32 through 37. Verse 32. Now... Here we go. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. What does that mean? Well, on the simplest, simplest breakdown of it all is that they're totally in agreement, both in their minds and their hearts. Their thinking and their desires, their passions, their beliefs. Now, I think this speaks both of intimacy with each other. They're one together in this. But actually, you couldn't have that unless you were intimate with God. So this is a beautiful little verse on both intimacy with God and intimacy with each other. Um, growth, verse 33. Again, we're seeing this great testimony of the apostles' teaching that's going out there. Um, I think it's implicit in there that, there, again, you're learning from what these leaders are doing in the church, and we actually learn from each other as we see models and examples that come out. Willingness. Uh, verse 32, but also um, we didn't quite read verses 36 and 37, so let me read that out to you. I think it's a great example of willingness. Um, we saw the willingness just in terms of how people are, are willing to give up their possessions, their homes, things that are pretty critical <laughs> to their lives, whether this is a spare house, your batch down in Akaroa that you happen to be given up, or it's a, your actual home, it's still a significant thing um, that they're giving in order to give to people in need. But verse 36 and 37 talks about a specific guy. It says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Joe, good guy, you know. He's willing to take something that he owns to make cash out of it in order to give to people in need. That's really beautiful. Now, a little side point here. I do not think that it is accidental that in the scriptures we have chapter 5, the contents of chapter 5, immediately following after this beautiful example. What happens in chapter 5? We've got the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Okay? It's a really illuminating side point, I think. Unity without the Spirit of God is hollow. Worse than that, it's dangerous. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the story of Ananias and Sapphira is included in the very next section. 
following this beautiful example of Joseph in the early church. Ananias and Sapphira, you can go and read it later if you want, were unified in what they decided to do. They also sold a piece of land and gave it to the apostles' feet, but they kept some of it back. Now, it was their right to do what they wanted with it, but they gave the impression they were giving everything. And they were unified in that between the two of them. They, they had an agreement. This is what they were going to do. But their unity was not of God. It was founded on lies, deception, and selfishness. And God judged them. And that's not what we want to be about here. So look at the beautiful example. Look at the negative example and remember what we want to be about. Unity for the sake of unity by itself is no unity at all. Unity in Christ is beautiful unity. So back to Acts um, 42, 40, sorry, 4, 32, 37. Blech, tongue time. Um, in praise, I think you see that in verse 33, that great grace is among them. There's actually, uh, that flows to praise amongst each other. And then in Acts 6, 1 through 7, and we haven't read this yet, so I'm just going to read it through before, um, before we break it down. But think about it. Where do you see these aspects coming out as we read through it? Now in those days, when the apostles were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, peg out from among you seven men of good repute, full of wisdom, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to faith. So what's intimate about that? Bit of a trick question. Because what you actually have, the scenario is a break in intimacy. That's why we've got this section here. They were meeting together, we saw that in chapter 2 and 4, sharing everything together, looking after the widows and the orphans, looking after everyone together. And what we have at the beginning of this chapter is a break. There's a group of people that are being overlooked. There's a group of people that are slightly different, the Hellenists, the Greek background, and they're being overlooked in this distribution of food. But I think it's still an amazingly beautiful passage about intimacy because it's about a break in intimacy that's restored. And one of the things that is, again, beautiful, I'm saying that so many times today, but the beautiful thing about the scriptures is that it's warts and all. And the beauty thing of warts and all is it doesn't just leave it in warts and all. It says there's hope. Jesus is the hope through the warts and all. The community doesn't just go, oh, shoot, we got a problem. Guess we're going to have two different churches. Guess we're going to have a split. Guess we're going to go different ways and you Hellenists can look after yourselves. No, it, they have a resolution. They find a solution that brings them back together again. That is, that's intimacy. Intimacy is not without problems. <laughs> if you haven't had issues in church, you probably haven't been in church long enough or been committed. The reality is there will be challenges. We're called to work through that together in Christ by his spirit. 
growth. I think this challenge presents an opportunity for growth. You see that in verses 2 through 5. They've got a problem. They've got a possibility of uh, looking at this and going, shoot, we've got this tension. Uh, We've got this tension between we need to keep preaching the good news. That's the point of our community is to be a witness for Christ. Um, Okay, maybe we give that up because we need to focus on these people. Oh, shoot, no, we really need to be focused on growth still. So what do we do? We need to pray into it. We need to seek God's guidance. We need to find people that can do that role so the apostles can keep doing the thing that they've been appointed and anointed to do, and we need to raise people up. And they do. They select seven people. And the willingness, that's tied again with that as well, the the willingness of those people to stand up and do this part of this well-needed ministry. But also the willingness of the apostles to not be distracted from the thing that they've been appointed to do. We've got to recognize that distinction. It wouldn't have been the right answer just for the apostles to go, shoot, right, well, forget the ministry of the word. We won't preach the good news anymore. We'll just deal with this issue so we can deal with intimacy. That would not have been good. <laughs> and that's not good for us either. So we've got to make sure we're keeping, you know, John T. Warren free to be able to do the thing that they've been intended to do, to pastor and to teach and to pray and to lead us in these things. And we need to step up into other roles in order to make sure that we are doing this stuff as a community and caring for each other. Pretty key. Um, the willingness is also in how the community respond. They respond in 5A, you can see that. They're actually like, this pleased us. This is a good approach. Great. Excellent. We're all for this. It's a pretty active community, key on doing that. And in praise, in verse 7, uh, there is a great number of people that respond to this. The, do you see that it's not just a restoration of intimacy that happens out of this, but actually it continues to foster the primary work of witness when people are being cared for. That is a witness to people and the fact that they can keep preaching the gospel. It's, it's totally tied together. Um, Lindsey Brown, in his book, Shining Like Stars, describes a time of great tension in Burundi, between Tutsis and Hutus. A number of Hutus were killed on a university campus as a result of tribal fighting. So many of their fellow Hutus fled into the mountains to escape. The Tutsi Christian fellow students followed them with food and clothing. Once they had seen to the needs of the Christians, they then helped the others. As a result of doing this, there was a cost. Many of these Tutsi Christians were abandoned by their families, by their tribes. The non-Christian principal of that university where things all started said this, our culture is disintegrating. On our campus, there are three kinds of people. There are Tutsis, there are Hutus, and there are Christians. If our culture is to survive, we must follow the example of the Christians. This is beautiful. It's wonderful. And it is truly beyond ordinary. So, intimacy, growth, sorry, intimacy, true care and action for each other. Growth, learning and stepping into opportunities. Willingness, willing to be a kingdom witness. And actually following through with being a kingdom witness. Praise, a transformative thankfulness in our community. Unity in the spirit is beyond ordinary. So how do we go about ensuring that our fellowship is like these good examples? This is where the rubber hits the road, guys. Hope you're awake. 
Well, that's both simple and it's tricky. Here's a simple illustration for the simple part. Church can be thought of like a bike wheel. Okay? Uh, the spokes and add a rim. Don't get too confused. Church is the bike wheel. The individuals, you and I, are on the spokes. Okay? And God is the hub at the center. The closer you get to the hub, guess what? The closer you get to the other spokes, the closer you get to each other. As we daily, diligently seek Christ, our hearts grow more like His. We'll care for the things that He cares about. Our desires will change. That's what I think was going on about with the hearts and minds, right? We focus in on Christ. Our hearts get more aligned with His. We get more changed with that. By God's Spirit, you will be empowered to care about each other. To want to know how someone else is actually doing. To want to help them. To want to grieve, want to rejoice, to share your life with them. A deepening personal faith will always be a collectively expressed faith. A maturing Christian one who is pressing into Christ daily, listening to him, holding fast to good doctrine, seeking the furtherance of his kingdom, ultimately being more and more gripped by Christ, is one that is spirit-filled and by his spirit will truly care for God's people around themselves. It's that simple. Great. And yet, it's also tricky. It's tricky. Because we battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because it takes energy. And we're busy people. It's tricky. Because it's not simply about self-will. And we are so prone to returning to that method rather than relying on God's spirit. It's tricky. Because we are saturated in a culture of individuality. A culture of selfishness. That is the culture that permeates our world. And it's so easy just to become part of it and to not see that, to rationalize it. So it's simple, but it's tricky. How do we overcome the tricky stuff? By prayer. God has sent his spirit to empower us. Let's not act like beggars at a banquet that we've been invited to. Expect God to help. He wants to. Encourage each other. Remind each other. Unity in the Spirit will be transformational. It will be powerful. So where do we go from here? Well, firstly, if you don't know Jesus, talk to one of us today. You will never experience true unity with people until you are united with Christ being united with the creator and the savior of the world, being aligned with his purposes in this world will enable you to have real connection with people. You can't have the enabling of the spirit without the foundation of Christ. But if you are a believer in Jesus, know, know that he has made it possible to experience true unity. It's possible. Some days it seems unattainable. Some days it seems hard. Some days it feels tricky. 
but it's possible. And I think there's so much hope to be gained from knowing that, from holding that in your head, in your heart, pressing into it. And diligently press into Christ. Seek him more. Pray. Saturate yourself in good teaching, in good doctrine. Sit under good teaching. Be expectant for God by his spirit to lead, to move, to enable, for us to be reconciled, to break down barriers, to build bridges between people, to grow his kingdom. That expectancy is, makes a difference in us, again, to actually expect things are going to happen. It's amazing what doors open up. <laughs> uh, one of the things that Warren and John have made a real point over the years is saying, you know, be expectant that God will give you opportunities. Be expecting that he will lead. And suddenly you see he is. Oh, fantastic. Oh. I had an opportunity just this morning at the supermarket just because I was expecting to be opened. And tie with that is being generous. Be generous with your time, with your possessions. Seek ways to serve each other. It will take effort. But it's effort enabled and empowered by Jesus, by his spirit. So let's be an active fellowship of spirit-filled believers, listening, growing, walking by the spirit, intimate with one another, willing to go out of our way for each other. Is someone struggling that you know today? Is someone responded to this news of COVID differently? Are we struggling? Look, we're separated between two levels here, right? And yet we can still have community, hopefully upstairs and downstairs, but we can express community even distantly. Like, what, what is on your mind right now that you can be actually stepping into and acting? We want to be intentionally working towards the expansion of God's kingdom, all for the praise of his glory. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.